Welcome. I'm glad that you are here, both those of you in the sanctuary and those of you that are joining us online. We're grateful you're here. Um, what I want to do from the very beginning, very quickly, is I have the ushers actually handing out some money. So I'd like everybody to take some money, if you would, very quickly. Um, while that's happening, I'm going to keep talking, so you'll have to keep listening. Uh, when you get your money, you can go ahead and put it in your pocket or you can put it in your Bible or whatever you want. We'll get to that in a minute, okay? So just take some. Um, isn't it true that money seems to have the ability to rise within us certain emotions and feelings, depending upon how it comes? If money comes to us like a sudden windfall, like what you just got, it can be a thrill. Wow, I got money. I got more than what I had. Or if it comes as like an unexpected bill, you know, something, maybe you even have the money in the bank, but it's like, I had other plans for that. And oh, shoot, now I got to use my money to pay for this bill. Um, money has the ability to do something inside of us like almost nothing else. Um, money is the reason why some people don't go to church. Or some people stop going to church because all you guys are after is my money. That's what people say about the church all the time. All they care about is my money. Uh, but I want to suggest to you is that what determines our feelings about our money is our perspective. It's how we view it. Uh, I think that for many people in churches around this area and around the nation, that what happens is as the bucket or the bag or the plate is being passed for the offering, we have this idea that this is my money and the preacher and his posse are after my money. And so we plunk some money in and say, there, I gave it to them. Uh, but in our mind, we're thinking, I'm giving my money. And then when we give here, we think I'm giving my money to the church, or maybe a little bit more harshly, I'm giving my money to the pastor because apparently he can't go out and get an honest job like the rest of us. Uh, so money has that ability to rise certain emotions within us. Uh, years ago, my father-in-law was teaching a class called Pastoral Theology, and in this class he asked us this question. He said, if you knew that the ushers who were taking up the offering were stealing the money, would you still give? And my immediate reaction was, no way! I worked too hard for this money. I'm not going to have somebody just waste it and steal it. But again, in my mind, it was my money, and it was my responsibility to make sure it was used properly. In fact, the truth is, at heart, I wanted to be able to tell the church how to spend my money, how to use it, how to use it properly. Our perspective determines our response when it comes time to give our money. This morning, we're going to look at a Bible passage. If you have your Bibles, you can get them out. You can turn to Luke 16. We're going to look at a Bible passage that actually is about a group of people that are a lot like us. They were church people who liked their money. And Jesus tells them this story, this parable, about how we ought to look at our money like God 
looks at our money. Now, before I actually open the scripture, I want to remind you of a truth we all know. Uh, When we were kids, when we were little, maybe even when we were teenagers, we most often thought that our parents had silly, unreasonable rules and regulations. Do you remember that? When they would tell you to do things that you thought made no sense to you, they would say things like, um, eat your vegetables. Okay, all right. They would say, don't sit on your sister. Why not? She's right there. She makes a great chair. Or they would say, like, don't pick your nose and eat it. I don't get it. People around the world do. Why can't we in America? We're free. Or they would say things like uh, what we said to our sons, uh, one who's here. Don't keep throwing stones at the window until you find the stone that's big enough to actually break it. It was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant plan on their part. Um, As a child, we thought our parents' rules were ridiculous. But isn't it true that as parents now, you find yourself saying the same kinds of things to your kids? Why? Because as an adult, you have a more mature view of it. I want to suggest to you that if you have inside of you anything less than a cheerfulness of heart in giving your money, it's probably because you're not looking at it from the right, more mature perspective. We think it's my money. And they want my money. They gain and I lose. And I want to suggest to you that that is not how God looks at our money. That God like a parent, has a more mature perspective. And it might behoove us to actually grow up a little bit and learn to look at our money the way that God does. Are you at Luke 16 yet? Luke 16, I want to begin reading in verse 1. Now, if you've read your Bible at all, you know that Jesus likes to tell parables. He tells parables, stories, to help us to understand deeper truths. And usually what would happen, by the way, is when He would tell a parable... You guys won't remember this if you've read your Bible. When he tells the parable, everybody's like, okay, what does that mean? And even the disciples, Jesus' own group, would have to go later and say, can you explain this to us? This, however, is one parable that Jesus actually took time to explain right in the middle of the parable. So, Luke chapter 16, follow along if you would. He also, Jesus also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be a steward. So here's this rich guy who has a lot of money and He doesn't want to be involved in the smaller day-to-day decisions about his portfolio and his properties. So he hires a manager that here they call a steward. Remember, we looked last week and we saw that a steward is one who manages the assets of another with great fervor, with great desire to see those assets grow. Well, this rich man hired a money manager to take care of all of his accounts. And somehow, we don't know how, Word reached this rich man that this steward, the money manager, wasn't handling his money properly. And so he calls for an accounting. Look at it, verse 3. Or verse 2, he already says, 
What's this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be the steward. This is like the apprentice big time. This is like Donald Trump saying you're fired. That's the kind of thing that's going on here. Verse 3, Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? And if it's not in your Bible, you ought to put the word now there. Because that's what he's saying. What do I do now? I'm in trouble. For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. In other words, he's saying, I'm not in good enough physical condition to go out and get another job. And I'm too proud to beg. So he comes up with a plan. Verse 4. I've resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, that they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to them, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And at this point, all of the disciples who are hearing this parable, are, they're booing and hissing and shaking their head in disgust at this evil steward that is ripping off his master. But look what happens in verse 8. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. This guy who is cooking the books. I mean, this is like, the epitome of white-collar crime. This guy is commended. It's like, Jesus, you're telling this story. What's the deal? Is bad now good and good now bad? Help us to understand what's going on. And Jesus does. Look at the rest of that verse. He begins to explain it. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Jesus isn't suggesting that lying or stealing or cooking the books is now okay. He's talking about our ultimate motivations that drive us to do everything that we do in life. He's saying that the world's perspective that is embodied in this unjust ruler, the world's perspective is me first. Take care of me above all else. Make sure I am okay and I don't care about the rest of the people. I don't care about the master. I care about me. And he said that's the world's perspective. It's survival of the fittest. Look out for number one. And he says if you look at what the world does, their perspective is look out for number one. They do that really well. I mean, think about what goes on. Think about what even goes on in politics in this last little bit. Is it not true that people are looking out for number one? They're looking out for themselves? I mean, how many times have you watched a politician change their platform in order to garner the votes of the people? We see it all over the place. We see it in the world. where We're willing to rip people off in order to take care of number one. We see a purse that somebody has left behind in the cart. And the first thing we think is, I wonder, this, this could be a help to me. Not, this poor person has saved their money, they've worked hard, and now they've forgotten their person. It could be an elderly lady. Or we find a wallet on the floor and we think, ah, oh, I wonder how much money's in there. It's, look out for number one first. And Jesus is saying, what the world has as their perspective, they work really well. They do it passionately. They're always looking out for number one. But then what He's really saying to us in the parable is, wouldn't it be something if the children of light, the, 
people of the kingdom of God, Christians, if Christians actually caught God's perspective and worked that agenda just as passionately as the world works theirs, wouldn't that change the fiber of the world around you? He said, we should know the Father's agenda and work that just as passionately, just as fervently as the world works their agenda. One of the main points of this parable is that just like this unjust steward, this manager, you have some time to begin to plan for your future now. You have time and you have opportunity to leverage your future right now. Every one of you sitting in this room are going to have a future. Oh, I don't say that you have a guaranteed future on this side, but you have a guaranteed future on that side. One day, every one of us is going to die. And we're going to appear before God and we're going to give an account. That's what the Word of God tells us. You're going to stand before God one day. And the point that's being made in this parable is that you have time and opportunity right now to actually affect what that, that kind of appointment that meeting will look like before God Himself. We say phrases like this, live today in light of eternity. Or we say, only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We have the sayings, but my question is, do we live that way? Do we live today mindful of eternity? Do we live now mindful of then? And that's what this parable is about. He's saying, listen, the world works their system. How about you actually become aware of God's system, God's agenda, God's plan, and work that passionately? Are you taking advantage of the time and opportunity that you have right now to actually prepare for right then and there? Look at verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. When Jesus refers to mammon, we looked at it last week, He's talking about our money, but it's more than that. He's talking about how we feel about our money. What drives us, what motivates us about our money. And then when He uses the term unrighteous mammon, He's trying to emphasize that all of that stuff, your money and all of your stuff, everything that you call yours, it's all temporary. It's all short time. It's going to be gone one day. Whether through rust or through breakage or through theft. Many of you guys don't know this, but just recently we had the uh, Redemption Center right next door robbed in the middle of the night. We did. One day, all of your stuff is going to be gone. It's going to fall apart. Or maybe somebody else will think they need it more and they're going to work the world's system. And Jesus says, all of that unrighteous mammon, which is just temporary stuff, remains temporary stuff that's of no lasting value unless you invest it into things that are going to last for eternity. Unless you invest it into the kingdom. In the end, all of this stuff that we think is so important, all this stuff that we treasure, it means nothing. You can't take it with you. But you can use it today in order to affect tomorrow. Affect what you're going to have as your experience when you stand before God. None of it matters. It all remains unrighteous mammon unless you invest it for the kingdom. 
And yet, Jesus then takes it one step farther. He says that when you get there, and really what he's talking about is heaven. When you get to heaven as a believer, and the only way you get there is by faith in Jesus Christ. No other way. None of your good works are going to get you there. None of your money is going to get you there. Nothing's going to get you there but accept that you have faith in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. That He died for your sins. That He might give you His life and that He received in your stead all the judgment that was upon you as a sinner. But when you get to heaven, He says, there will be people who will welcome you because of what you have done. So that money that you gave into missions, you know, you, you thought you were just giving some money for a missionary in Kazakhstan or Tanzania or Honduras or China or Vietnam. You thought you were just giving money. One day, there's going to be somebody who's going to greet you at the doorway of heaven and say, because you gave, the missionary shared the gospel with me and I became part of the family. Isn't that an amazing thought? And the same isn't just true overseas, it's true here. What you do here in Warsaw, in Wyoming County, in Perry, in Attica, what you do here has the ability to affect people's lives for the Gospel. What you give matters. What you do matters. And one day, people here in Wyoming County are going to greet you at the doorway of heaven and say, because of what you did, because of how you lived, I became part of the family of God. And I want to thank you. You're welcomed into the home. In another place, Jesus says that all of our stuff, if we don't give it for the gospel, if we don't give it for the kingdom, all of that stuff is wood, hay, and stubble. And it's going to be burned up. So my question to you is, what are you doing with all your stuff? What are you doing even with your finances? Was it all about you and yours? Or is it about him and his? Now there are three things I want to tell you really quickly from this story that I think this parable points out. Number one, everything you owned is a tool. Everything, not just your cash. Every single thing you possess from God's perspective is a tool. Now, what, what is it that you view that you possess? Your house. Let me say it. Your house is a tool for God. Do you live that way? Or do you have to kind of guard your house? Your, your dining room table or your kitchen table, whatever you've got, is a tool for God. Your vacation is a tool for God. Is it possible God would actually like to use you while you're on vacation? Your truck and your trailer is a tool for God. Your car is a tool. Everything that you own is a tool for God. And I believe we'll be amazed at the end of time when we realize how much our stuff God actually used for eternity. I think about uh, Josh. Josh, uh, maybe you guys don't even know this, but like the video you just watched of Jocelyn, Josh takes those videos. All the commercials that you see up on the screen, Josh takes it. So it's just a camera, it's just a camera. But it's not just a camera if you realize it's a tool that can be used by God in order to further his purposes in the kingdom. I think about Art Barr. Art Barr has to be one of the most generous people I know. Over the years, every time he hears about a need, his first response is, how can I give? I don't care whether it's missions trips or whether it's work around the church or whatever it is, camps. He's always giving. He says, he'll come to us annually and he'll say, what kids don't have enough money in order to go? I want to help them. <coughs> Art, when he finds out about camp, 
first thing he knows is, okay, my truck and my trailer has to be available. In fact, we've used his truck and trailer so much that we don't even call it his anymore. We call it ours. That's a man who says, my stuff is just a tool for the kingdom of God. I, I wonder, if you began to look at your stuff more as God's, what would it do? How about Dave Blum? Dave Blum has some gifts. Dave Blum has some talents. But what if there's just not talents in order for him to make a living for his family? What if his talents, being able to fix appliances, is actually God using it as a tool to open doors into people's houses where he can share the love of God with them? What if it's Mark coming in to do electrical? Yes, it's electrical that needs to be done, but what if it's God using that as a tool to open a heart? Plant seeds. Maybe it won't come to a harvest right then, but maybe it's seeds that will grow in time. Well, I, I think about, uh, I, I can't remember if it was John or Ben, uh, mentioned uh, Gene Nickerson's umbrella. It's become the, um, the, the, the famous umbrella in our church. Uh, we we want to see that umbrella one day. But what if it's not just a, 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 a rain shield? What if it's actually the door opener? What if it's a key out of kindness and consideration for others to open the door to affect the life around you? I think about the media team. I mean, we look back at them. The only time we really care about them is when they make mistakes. Right? When the sound goes bad or the media, the, the words aren't up there in time. I watch. Everybody turns around and glares at them. Come on, get with it. But what if it's not just media? It's not just sound. What if it's a tool to further the work of the kingdom of God? You're actually doing it for a reason. What if all of your stuff actually is in God's eyes a tool to further his kingdom. That's kind of the point of what Jesus is teaching here. God sees all of our unrighteous mammon, and that's the way it remains, unless we use it for his kingdom. He sees it as a tool with the potential to affect people's eternity. So what should you do? I think you should go home today and look around your house. Look at everything you've got. And say, God, it's all yours. Everything I own is yours. Um, when uh, we had the robbery out there, my initial reaction, obviously, I was, I was upset. I, I couldn't believe somebody would do that. I mean, here we are, a business that's purpose is to help the community and to help around the world, and somebody comes in and robs us. But then I was out walking, uh, as I like to do, and I began to think about it, and I, I began to laugh. I really did. I began to laugh. And I said, God, that place is yours. Everything in that place is yours. So if somehow you wanted your place to get robbed, that's on you, not on me. It's all yours. Well, that's kind of how we ought to look at it. God, it's all yours. That doesn't mean we should be frivolous and stupid about it. It does mean, however, that we always keep in mind, God, everything I have is yours. And God, how would you want to use your stuff that you've loaned to me? How do you want me to use that? Um, how can I use all of this for your kingdom. And by the way, God, anything that I've gathered to myself and that I now grasp as mine, either get rid of it, because I don't want that kind of attitude, or get rid of the attitude, one or the other. God, help me to recognize that it's all yours. We ought to be asking, how can I, as a good steward of all that God has given me, how can I use that best for his kingdom? Uh, your kitchen is a tool. It makes a difference in people's lives when you use it to bless others. Your tools are tools in God's hands when you use them for God's purposes. 
Uh, I had somebody recently say to me, yeah, I had to move and all my tools are over there now. And I think, they were never yours. They were God's. They always were God's. And God chose to bless this person now. That that person can become a blessing to others. We said last week, everything that we have, all of our stuff comes from God. It's given by God as He wills. And then it's His to control. Is that true in your life? What if we took all that we have and we began to look at it not as ours, but as His? I wonder what kind of difference that might make in our lives and in our neighborhood. What if everything about us began to be about the kingdom and not just about us and ours? Jesus went on. And it's almost like, uh, it almost seems like when I was first reading it, like He changes the subject. But He doesn't. He's actually like trying to bring it home for us. Look at verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful what is another's man's, who will give you what is your own? Jesus says, if you can't be faithful with what little you have, you say you have little. You say, yeah, I don't have much at all. I'm poor. You say you have little. If you can't be faithful with that, why in the world should God entrust you with more? You have to start with what you have. And say, God, all that I have is yours. Use it for your purposes and let God blow upon it. Um, All that you have remains little and it remains unrighteous mammon unless you give it for the kingdom. You use it for the kingdom. The second thing I want to say to you, not only is everything we have a tool, everything we have is a test. Every single day and every moment of the day, God lets our stuff test our hearts. Who does it really belong to? Where does it come from? Whose is it really? He looks to see if you're investing it in the kingdom or if you're investing it in your little kingdom. And one day we'll stand before God and we'll give an account. And what he's going to ask of us basically is this. What did you do with everything I loaned you? Did you use it for my kingdom? Or did you try to build yourself a nicer house, buy a newer car? Is that what it's really about? Have to have the bigger, the better, the latest and the greatest? How are you using what I have given you for my kingdom? Everything I own is a tool. Everything I own is a test. Uh, this, this series is not about how to get you give more. Uh, I believe it was Pastor John who said it. I could be mistaken, but I think he did. He said, the truth is, this church honestly is doing well, and we're so grateful to God for it. God is providing for us, and we're grateful for every bit of his provision. There's times when we've been lean and we call out to God, and there's times when we've had abundance and we call out to God and say, God, it's all yours. Use it as you will. There's been times when we didn't have enough and we decided to give more anyways. There's times when we've had more than enough. We said, God, what do you want us to do with this? It's all yours. But what you have is a test. What are you doing with it for the sake of the kingdom? Um, My father-in-law, back in that pastoral theology class, after different ones, like myself with a big mouth, spoke up and said, no way would I give if I knew that the ushers were taking the money. My father-in-law says, you're right. You're absolutely right. If you're giving your money and your money is being stolen, you shouldn't give your money anymore. But if you're giving God's money back to God because he wants it, then you have to leave it to God to do what he wants with his money. God can take care of the ushers. And I thought, what a mind-blowing concept for me. 
God actually has that kind of control? Yeah, God can take care of the ushers. He will. It's not my problem. My problem is just to obey God and to do what God asks of me. God asks of me tithes. God asks of me offerings. But that's not all he asks. He asks for my life. If you make this about money, you've missed the whole idea. This is about a life given over to God. Is everything you say, every, I thought about it this week. I, I, I got convicted. You guys who know me, you know that when I'm doing my workout, I'm focused. If you've ever been around me when I'm doing my workout, especially at the Y, I'm focused. I, other people are walking in groups and they're talking and I'm thinking, would you guys please go find some place else to do your workout? Because this is serious. This is about a workout. You shouldn't be talking. And so when I'm going by, I'm doing my laps or I'm on my treadmill and they stop to talk to me and I'm thinking, don't you see what I'm doing? I'm working out. It's about me. And this week, I was, on, I, was on, I was on my walk. It was a couple nights ago. It was a warmer night, so I thought, okay, I can go out and walk. And as I'm walking, I'm honestly thinking ahead of time about hoping nobody stops me. Because they do. They stop, they talk to you, and I'm thinking, God, I'm on my workout. And God says, is your life mine? Is your workout mine? And I hear, God, you've just gone from a good idea to meddling. And this isn't about your money. It is about your money. But it's not about your money. It's about you. It's you putting your life on the altar and saying, God, everything, everything is yours. All, all of me is yours. And all that you've given me is yours. This series isn't about money. It's, it's not even about trying to get you to scale back from your materialism. It's trying to get us to a point where we say, God, it's all yours. Every bit of it's yours. It's not mine. It's yours. I want to take mine, that word mine, out of my vocabulary. When I have a grasping nature to it, I want to be open-handed in giving. Look at the next verse. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And again, mammon isn't just your money. It's how you feel about your money. All you have is a tool. All you have is a test. And finally, number three, all you have is a trademark. It lets God know and everyone else around you know who owns you. The scripture says you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. He gave his life for you. We now belong to God. We're God's by virtue of creation, but if you're a believer today, you're also God's by virtue of redemption. And so this is a, a, a it's kind of like when you buy something, you get a title or you get a deed. And God says everything that you have, everything that you do with it becomes the title to say, whose is it? Who really owns it? So the question I have is, what would the stamp upon your life look like? What would the title of your life look like? Who is the owner of you? Um, this truth impacts everything about us. Uh, and remember, Jesus is the one who said, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So if you want your heart to be someplace good, begin to invest some treasure there. Begin to look at all of it as an investment, as a leverage for another day. Now, we don't give to get. We don't even give to get that but we give knowing that he's promised that. That's part of what he has given us in this. 
So this truth impacts um, what vehicle you buy. You know, do you have to have that bigger vehicle? Because, you know, I saw somebody, I saw somebody drive by me, and the tires of their truck were taller than my car. Okay. And I thought, whoa, you, you can't get any cooler than that, where they can actually drive over my car and not touch it. You know, come on, that, that's a big deal. It affects um, the fact that some in this place have credit card debt up to their eyeballs because they bought into the idea that they have to have, have to have more. It, it, it affects things like um, maybe you might have to decide that you're going to take your lunch to work instead of buying, what is it, Taco Bell, Jim, every day for lunch. It, it affects everything. If God owns everything, it affects everything. It affects uh, Christmas spending. You know, maybe more isn't the answer this year. Maybe God would say, no, this year I want you to do this with your money. Oh, my family will be so upset. Your family will have to get over it. Because who owns your stuff? Your family or God? It affects everything. Over the years, I've heard people say things like, I, I wish I could give more, but... Or even more so, I've heard people say, I wish I could go on that short-term mission trips to Guatemala, but... Well, maybe if we began to live our lives like God really owned it, God would begin to free us up to begin to do some of that kind of stuff. The answer to all of this, or, or the question really, I guess if I'm playing Jeopardy, it would be a question, is who is the Lord of your life? Who is the Lord of your life? Is your stuff, is your life, is your preferences, is your agenda the Lord? Are you living for that? Or are you living for him? Now, would you take that dollar bill I gave you out and kind of get it out here, out of your purse, out of your Bible, out of your pocket? And just hold it for a minute. This dollar bill actually represents your stuff. This dollar bill is a tool, and you can do what you want with it. It represents all of your stuff, all of your life. My question is, what are you going to do with this tool that God has put in your hand? What are you going to do with it? And I know somebody's going to say, it's just a little, it's just a dollar. Well, if you can't be entrusted with little, God says you won't be entrusted with much. So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to say, I've got another dollar, I can go get another coffee, thank God. Are you going to say, hey, a dollar, that, that can get me a large diet down at uh, McDonald's. Um, the dollar menu is looking awfully good today for lunch, guys. What are you going to do with your dollar? What are you going to do with the tool that God has put in your hand? What would happen if you took that tool, that seed, and you actually prayed and said, God, what would you want me to do with it? Maybe God would want you to take that seed and buy somebody's coffee behind you at Timmy's. I have no idea how much coffee costs there, so you might have to take some money out of your wallet and augment it. What if, what if God said, I want you to actually give this at lunch to increase your tip, to bless somebody, and let them know, 
as you give it. You're not just giving it. You're not just putting it on the table. You're saying, I, I want you to know, we wanted to bless you. So, yeah, take that dollar, but maybe add to it a lot more to say, I just really wanted to bless you today. I felt like God had you on his heart, so I gave it out of that. What would God have you do to invest this tool into his kingdom? Now, somebody here is going to say, well, you know, Pastor, that's a lot easier than all the rest of my stuff because you just gave me that dollar. The truth is God gave you everything you've got. Everything you have was a gift. It is. I know you think you earned it. I know you worked for it. I know that. But get sick one day and find out how well you do at work. Or lose your breath for a while. All that you have is a gift from God. He gives it. He blesses you. But he blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. A friend of ours used to say regularly, God will get more to you when he knows he can get more through you. Are you a person who has to grab it and hang on to it, trying to amass? Or are you a giver? Jesus said we ought to be givers like our Father in heaven in Matthew chapter 5. I want to be more and more like the Father. Don't you? Would you stand with me? I want you to seriously pray and say, God, what do you want me to do with this dollar? Maybe he wants you to give it to somebody. Maybe he wants you to add to it. Obey God. Hear his voice. And say, God, it's all yours. And this dollar bill represents all that I am. Not all that I have, all that I am. I'm yours. This dollar bill might only be a dollar, but God, I want to use it for the kingdom. I want to use it in the way that you want me to. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking you to do something significant inside of our souls. That we not be people who walk in fear, wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. Is the market going to crash? We're going to lose our job, and so we live in fear every day? Or are we going to live in faith, trusting that you who know us best are going to be able to take care of us and use all that we are for your purposes. We offer ourselves freely to you, Father. We say we're yours, and all that we are about is yours. We have no agenda other than your agenda. We have no motivation that drives us like wanting your pleasure, wanting to know that what we're doing pleases you. So Lord, today, I'm asking you to begin to work in our hearts and where we have had this hoarding mindset, I'm asking you to make us be free givers, generous givers, for God loves a generous giver. Help us to be that kind of person. And not just giving in church. Because the truth is, Father, when we give here, we're not giving to the church, we're giving to you. We're we're not putting our money into the church. We're putting our money into your kingdom. And that's been our mindset. We want it to even increase, Lord, so that it's not just here. It's out there, too, that we look for opportunities to be givers out there, to bless our community, to bless our area, to bless those around us, our neighbors. Instead of criticizing them and instead of being upset about things, Lord, we want to be blessers. We want to change the atmosphere around us. 
by being generous like our Father in heaven. That's our heart cry, we pray, Father. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. You may be seated.